Welcome to Meridian Magazine's Come Follow Me podcast. We are Scott and Maureen Proctor, and we are delighted to be with you again this week as we discuss the book of Amos and the book of Obadiah. This lesson is entitled, Seek the Lord and Ye Shall Live. We are thrilled this week to be able to have a couple of guests with us. Maureen, do you want to introduce them? Oh, I do. We have with us Dwayne Boyce and Kimberly White, and they have just written a marvelous book called The Last Safe Place, Seven Principles for Standing with the Prophets in Troubled Times. Now, the reason that they called it The Last Safe Place was because we have so many voices around us with suggesting philosophies that don't lead us to joy and happiness and life with God again. And so honestly, Duane and Kimberly, when I first read your book, I was so in love with it immediately. You, it's written beautifully. The principles are true. They, they resonate in your heart as something familiar and something that you know. And at the same time, you put things in a way that answer all the hard questions that people sometimes ask about prophets. So we're so pleased to have you with us today. Thank you, Maureen and Scott. We're really delighted to be here. You know, you didn't mention that we're father and daughter. And that's uh, something I think people will find interesting. Well, we're thrilled to have you as a father-daughter team. And the reason we ask you is not only because of this amazing book, but it just seemed like as we were studying the lesson this week, and we came to that age-old scripture that Anyone who's ever served a mission knows this scripture by heart, but in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Now, Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom, and he was prophesying just before Isaiah. So we're talking around 750 to 770 B.C., and he is called one of the lesser prophets, one of the 12 lesser prophets in the Old Testament but he certainly didn't have a lesser message. And this message has rung through the ages. In fact, when they say a minor prophet, they're not talking about his importance, but the length of the book that we have from him. So it's not a long book, but this message is so important. And I think it's really interesting to know that when he is prophesying and teaching in the Northern Kingdom called Israel, that they are only decades away from being attacked by Assyria, and Assyria will absolutely carry those people away. That's how those 10 tribes get lost. So he has coming with a warning voice, a really important warning voice for the people. And also at that time, the people are enjoying a fair amount of prosperity, even though they are very wicked. So they're pretty self-satisfied with themselves. And this warning comes, as warnings often do, not with excitement and enthusiasm, but with the resistance that you might expect. So, But it's so important to understand that the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret, which is sometimes warnings unto his servants, the prophets. So Duane and Kimberly, Please help us to understand why the Lord wouldn't do anything without revealing it to his prophets. And why does that matter so much to us personally? I think that one of the things that this shows us is the kindness, the loving kindness of the Lord. We are being tested on earth. We are in some ways left alone to 
to figure our own way out through life. But the Lord isn't leaving us without guidance. He's not leaving us without direction. The Lord sends prophets and won't do anything without telling them what it is. If everybody throughout history had always listened to prophets and had always followed their advice, we would have had a very, very different history of humanity uh, with less war and less trouble. The primary message for me of Amos's statement is a message that the Lord will not leave us alone and that he has provided guidance for us in the form of prophets. And it's up to us to decide whether we're going to follow them and listen to them and take their counsel or if we are not. We're rather a self-satisfied generation today as well. So I think Amos's words are particularly apt for the issues we're facing. You know, it reminds you of a common theme in scripture, of this idea of watchmen and towers. You remember in the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, the Lord tells the parable of a nobleman uh, choosing a choice spot of land. Uh, This is in Doctrine and Covenants 101. This nobleman picks a spot of land and plants olive trees. And he tells the people uh, to establish watchmen and towers. And then he goes on to say, well, they didn't build towers and an enemy came in the night and destroyed the grove. And he says to them, look, if you had built towers, you would have seen the enemy coming. You would have been warned and this wouldn't have happened. Um, You know, in Jeremiah's case, it's interesting because Uh, There, the Lord, uh, this is in Jeremiah 6, I think, the Lord says, I set watchmen over you, saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But in response, the people said, we will not hearken. And it is so interesting in every age that uh, the Lord (laughs) expends all his energy that he can to bless us, to encourage us to uh, have, uh, he calls watchmen, He invites us and implores us to pay attention to them. And over the history of the earth, the the common refrain, the common response of us mortals is to say, we will not hearken. We will not hearken. And that's the risk for every people in every age, that though there are watchmen and though there are towers, they won't matter if we won't listen, if we won't hearken. And so the calling to us is, to hearken. And one of the saddest things is when you see a people from whom the Lord has taken a prophet, because that's what he says he will do if they continue their idol worships, that he will take their prophets away. And therefore you are without knowledge, and therefore you are hopelessly ignorant before the challenges of life and adopt false ideologies, false philosophies that lead your whole society to ruin. So it's the saddest thing when a prophet is taken away, as we hear happens in the Old Testament. I will take your prophet away. It reminds me of Amos chapter 8, where in verses 11 and 12, and most of you are familiar with this as well, but behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north, even to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. And I guess my question for both of you with this is, and maybe Duane, you were about to say something in this same vein, but I wonder, are we in that famine 
Was that pre-restoration? Is it an ongoing thing? Is this a is this a view of the world as they don't listen to the prophets? Are we in that famine today of hearing the word of the Lord? Well, I think the answer to that is certainly yes. And, you know, one other little twist on this is to think of it this way. We face a famine, even if there are prophets, if we're refusing to hearken. It's a self-imposed famine. It's as if the Lord never called a prophet in the first place. If we won't hearken to him, it's as if there weren't one. And we create our own famine, even when there are living prophets. And that's the case today, I would say. We have living prophets. They're called of God. They represent him. They are guided by him. They speak for him. But if we don't hearken, it's a famine for us. One of the things that prompted us to write this book in the first place is that so many people in the world and even in the church have this attitude toward prophets as though prophets are a problem to be grappled with. Prophets are something we have to worry about whether they're they're the right prophets, how, how they're behaving. We have to examine their decisions. You know, we, we treat prophets so often like they're one of the obstacles to our faith and that they're one of the things we have to write blog posts about and examine and figure out. And that's not what's going on here. Amos tells us the idea of a famine. Prophets are not a problem we have to overcome. Prophets are the living water. They are the solution to the famine. Prophets are a wonderful blessing that we have. And I would just love to see us stop thinking of prophets as something that presents a quandary we have to resolve and start thinking of prophets as a blessing that we are lucky to have available to us in these modern times. I, I guess you mean by quandary the idea that I might find myself always wondering, well, should I take this seriously that they're saying, or should I take that seriously? What should I ignore? What should I follow? Presents a quandary. That's what you're saying. It is a misperception entirely of what prophets are for. By the way, this, this uh, prompts me to think about, you know, when you go back to the watchman example, the whole idea of watchmen in towers was to warn us. It wasn't for the good of the watchman. It was for the good of the people. And, and, and the idea of the watchman on the tower is that they uh, can see the danger that we cannot see and warn us. And I'll give you what I think is a wonderful example of this. If you, uh, most snakes aren't born, aren't hatched from eggs, but some snakes are. And the coral snake, which is highly venomous, is hatched from an egg. Well, if I don't know anything about eggs, if I don't know what they look like, uh, and I happen across the egg of a coral snake, I might think, well, it's that, that's the egg of a chicken or of a robin. And in my ignorance, I might want to keep that egg until it hatches and play with whatever comes out. The problem is what comes out of, a, of that egg is a coral snake and it's born fully venomous. Now, if I've kept this egg and nurtured it so that I could play with it when it comes out, I will die. And so many situations in the world are like this. Um, the, the things that plague our society are not presented to us as plagues or as problems or as threats. They come to us uh, in worldly media as beneficial, as blessings. And if we, if we're, if we can't discern the difference 
we will easily embrace what will kill us. And the value of prophets is they are watchmen on the towers and they can tell the difference between the egg of a coral snake and the egg of a robin and they can warn us. And so many worldly movements are like this. They're presented to us as if they are innocent or positively beneficial, but they're actually coral snakes. Prophets know the difference. The Lord knows the difference. He guides them. And we're warned through the gospel about things that will be deadly to us if we embrace them. So how do we gain our own powerful witness of the prophets? I think that that's one of the things that you cover in your book, and I'm very interested in that topic. We may, each one of us as listeners out there, and as Maureen and I contemplate our own experiences in being in general conference or being or watching general conference or being in some location where we are around one of the prophets, we may be able to identify an experience. But isn't that part of what we need to do is gain our own powerful witness of the prophets? so that we can carry that with us all the time? Yes, yes, it's absolutely crucial. There isn't any way for us to recognize the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet without the confirmation of the spirit. We just don't know enough. If I don't know what different eggs look like, I, I, I can't be trusted to just use my brain and figure out the answer to that problem. It has to be the spirit confirming to us that a prophet is a real prophet. We do live in times when there are people who claim to have wisdom and claim to have insight. And the only way to sort these things out is through the spirit. But it's not, it's not a mystery how we get this confirmation about the prophets, because it's the same way we get a confirmation of the Book of Mormon. It's the same way we get a confirmation of the mission of Joseph Smith. We study and we go to the Lord in prayer. With the prophets, you know, we don't have a book to read, but we have their words. We have their words printed. We have their words online. We have the conferences that we can attend and listen to. I, um, I want to tell a quick story. A number of years ago, there was a policy that the brethren had put forward, and I was very puzzled by it. I couldn't see how it was consistent with the gospel. And a number of people who felt the same way had suggested that the issue was that the brethren were just uh, wrong, that they just were flawed on this issue. They just were mistaken and that eventually uh, better prophets would come along, I guess, and improve this policy and correct these mistakes. Well, that did not ring true to me. It didn't make sense to me that if there are good men on earth, why would the Lord pick the bad ones, the short-sighted ones, the biased ones? That, that's not logical. And it, it occurred to me that, that either the prophets were really chosen by the Lord and they were the best people for the job, meaning they weren't going to be blinded by biases and resentments and cultural habits, but that they were going to be led by the Spirit. So either that's the case or they're random and we're just hoping that things go well. Well, I went to the Lord with that question. Which is it? Which is it? And the Spirit told me, at the time I was working on a home improvement project at home. We were installing a deck 
took a lot of time. I listened to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. And the spirit told me that I needed to stop listening to those things and listen to conference talks. Not in my life entirely, but in that phase of my life for that project. And I thought that sounded like absolutely the most boring waste of time that I could imagine. (laughs) But I did it. I got all the conference talks queued up and I just started listening to them. Hour after hour as I worked, I listened to conference talks. And the thing is, almost none of them directly addressed the issue that had started me down this path in the first place. But listening to their words and coming to know them, spending time with the things they were concerned about, with the things they chose to speak on at conference, and listening to them and their emotion as they told stories from their lives and as they bore testimony. By the time that deck was finished, I didn't need to confirm with the Lord that these men were the ones he had chosen and that they were directed by him. I knew it from listening to them and from spending so much time with them. Well, not everybody has to spend dozens of hours over the course of a week listening only to conference talks, but that's kind of the idea. We immerse ourselves in the words of the prophets the same way we would if we were trying to get a testimony of the Book of Mormon. We go to the Lord in prayer and we wait for the Spirit to confirm to us that they are truly called as prophets of God. You know, it's also useful for people to know certain things about prophets if they're going to gain a testimony of them. It's very helpful to remember what President Lee said about testimony of the leaders of the church. He said, the measure of your true conversion is whether or not you are living so that you see the power of God resting upon the leaders of this church and it goes down into your hearts like fire. And it is possible to have that kind of testimony. Just as we have of the Book of Mormon or that we have of Joseph Smith, the modern prophets really have the power of God. And that testimony goes out down into our hearts like fire. Now, it helps to know some things about prophets. It helps to know, for example, that they're not just leading an organization, but they go back to the very beginning. They're, they're just descendants in this long line of prophets that began with Adam. So there is a holy heritage when we think about prophets all the way back to the garden and immediately after the garden. That, that's one thing to know. Second thing that's really valuable to know is that they are special witnesses of Christ. And the brethren say things about this from time to time. And it's important to appreciate what it means to be a special witness of Christ and the power that's found when they speak of that topic. A third thing it pays to know about prophets as we try to get a testimony of them is to recognize that although they're imperfect, no prophet, no apostle is perfect. They're not flawless. That's not the standard. What they are is spiritually refined and supremely devoted to the Lord. More than than most of us, for sure. And so that's another thing to know about prophets. And we can see that in their lives. And we can tell story after story demonstrating the the supreme dedication of the brethren and their, their work at being servants of the Lord. A fourth thing to know is to recognize that they're loved and supported by the Lord. The Lord loves them. 
And it's impossible to read the scriptures, to read stories about Moses, for example, without seeing how much the Lord loved Moses. And then a fifth thing to know about the brethren is that the way we respond to them tells us how we would respond to the Lord if he were around. And uh, so all those five things are kind of key concepts to have in mind as we think about prophets and seek the spirit regarding them. Now, I've heard you mention before that if we go to the Lord and we want to have a testimony of the prophets, that there are questions to ask and questions that are really doubts or criticisms posed as a question. And I'm interested in, in your ideas on that. Yeah, Martin, think about it this way. We can ask a question with a hard heart or with a soft heart. And that makes all the difference in the world. An honest question, an honest seeking for information is a question that's coming from a soft heart, a teachable heart, one that's genuine and sincere and wants to know. Well, that's one quality of heart. And not all questions come from that quality of heart because I can feel resistant and hard and angry and critical and put all that in the form of a question as if I'm just seeking information. But if my heart is hard and resistant and angry and critical, I'm not just asking for information. My question is actually a masquerade. It's a masquerade of my criticism. How in the world can the Lord answer a question like that? If I'm going to him in prayer with a hard-hearted question, what can he possibly do to answer a hard heart? So it kind of goes like this, I think. If my heart is soft, I'm sincere, I'm a disciple, I want to know if my heart is soft that way, then I should ask questions endlessly. The Lord will welcome them. Well, what if I have a hard heart? What about those questions? Well, the answer to that is this. I should soften my heart and then I should ask questions endlessly. But it will never pay, it will never pay for me to ask questions with a hard, critical heart. And that's a distinction that's so important to know. I put that in, in terms of prayer, but it's, even as we deal with one another, the heart we have toward one another is what makes the real difference. One of the precious moments that Scott and I had in life was when we had a bunch of our little children with us and we went to the Pioneer Day Parade downtown Salt Lake. And that is a madhouse. There are lots and lots of people and balloons and people selling drinks and all kinds of stuff. It is just a little bit of a madhouse. And so we were there. We have a very large family. So we were there making sure that we were counting heads and knew where everybody was. In other words, there were um, lots of distractions. And so when the parade started, Howard Hunter, who was then the prophet, was at the head of the parade. And we were there and, and I was jumping up and down and said, we love you, President Hunter, we love you. And he looked over in this huge crowd and he caught my eye and he just mouthed the words, thank you. And the spirit 
just came upon me so strongly. And I knew that I had just been given yet another witness of his prophetic calling, as I feel like I've had about all the prophets. And again, what made it so remarkable to me was it wasn't a particularly spiritual environment. It was a rowdy parade kind of environment. But this moment when he caught my eye and I caught his will forever be sacred to me. And I won't ever forget it. We talked a, a few minutes ago about that the brethren aren't perfect. No one claims they are. They certainly don't. But boy, are they dedicated. And boy, do they take spirituality and discipleship seriously. Well, it is so well represented in this story of President Hunter. He served as an apostle for 30 years, including, as you mentioned, Maureen, president of the church. Well, one day he actually went to his stake president to ask for a blessing. And the reason he wanted a blessing was because he had had a negative thought about someone. And he felt that he could not fulfill his apostolic calling if he had even one negative thought about anyone. He went to his stake president for a blessing for that. Now, that is so humbling to realize how dedicated these men are, how searchingly they examine their own lives, it, uh, it humbles us to know it. You know, we are leaving in a very short time. As far as this recording of this podcast, uh, we're leaving in less than 24 hours to go to Israel. And there is this place we go in Israel. It's called Mount Arbel. It overlooks the Sea of Galilee, and it is a mountain apart and we feel like this is probably where the savior did go on occasion to be alone with his father and uh we have a little lecture that we give up there it's something i've put together called to live like the apostles and it's just observations i've made in my lifetime of what it must be like to live like an apostle how do they live their lives yes these are not men who don't make mistakes they 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 know that they can make mistakes just they're human but as i put this together and i won't share really any of the things from it but i've got uh and i keep adding to it i have 38 different things that i've observed about what it's like to live as an apostle and what is their daily life like and what is their dedication and what is their witness and what is their commitment and what is their energy that's required and all of these different things. And I think about that as I talk to people and on the top of Mount Arbel and we're overlooking the Sea of Galilee where the Lord Jesus was, most of his ministry was in that area where we can see. And uh, it just humbles me to no end to think of, you know, how they live their lives. These are not, in my book, they are not ordinary men. They would probably say they're ordinary men, but they are not ordinary men. They are remarkable and they are called from before the foundation of this world i can testify to that because they have that witness and we can know that they've had that witness by the power of the spirit now i was thinking as you both were talking kimberly and Dwayne, i was thinking about our current prophet and maybe in years to come when people listen to this, they'll say our current prophet and it's someone else. But um, right now it's President Russell M. Nelson. And I was thinking about how 
Amos said, surely the Lord God will do nothing save he revealeth his secret to his servants, the prophets. Well, is President Nelson revealing to us or is the Lord revealing to President Nelson secrets? And I was reading Jeffrey R. Holland's uh, kind of summary of some of the things President Nelson has revealed to us. And it's just fascinating to just do it in a really fast manner. President Nelson has called upon us to increase our spiritual capacity to receive revelation. He's led the church in implementing a newer, holier approach to caring for and ministering to others. Now, there's one of the Lord's secrets. We're going to do a higher and holier approach to caring for one another. He's led us through a pandemic, helping us adjust to a home-centered church supported by what takes place inside our branch, ward, and state callings. He's focused our Sunday worship on the sacrament and our Sunday behavior on keeping the Sabbath day holy. He's accelerated temple work, announcing the construction of more than 80. And when Elder Holland gave this, it's now outdated because now he's announced 118 new temples. He's asked us to restore the correct name of the Lord's church. He's pleaded with us to experience the strengthening power of daily repentance. He's encouraged the saints to hear him, which is the pattern for success, happiness, and joy in this life. He's delivered a bicentennial proclamation to the world, inviting all to know that the heavens are open and that God is making known his will for his beloved sons and daughters. There's that Amos language again. He has invited the saints to embrace the future with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which unlocks the power of God in our lives. Now, if we see those all in a row, we think we have a prophet among us, and he is revealing the will and the secrets of the Lord. And as we listen to him, we can truly have our own witness that this is true. And I, I love what you both say in your book when you're talking about how human beings think they're a lot smarter than they are. And therefore, we rely on our own wisdom, which is so limited. I think the longer you live, the more you understand that you know nothing. But how critical it is then to have a prophet who can receive instructions directly from the Lord. So talk to that for a minute. It's the same thing we were saying before about there being a watchman on the tower. We don't know what's coming, but the prophet can know. Now, we, from our limited perspective, we know so little. I mean, the very simplest thing is we don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen. All we can do is, um, you know, use what education we have and make the best decisions that we can. And that's fine. Um, science has made a lot of progress and we know a lot of things that previous generations didn't know, but we still don't know the future. We don't know if there's going to be a natural disaster. We don't know if there's going to be another pandemic. These are all things we can't tell, but that the Lord knows about. I mean, it's so easy as human beings, especially if we get a little education, to start thinking that we know what's up and we can make smart decisions and we can um, anticipate things that are going to happen in the future based on our education, based on our studies of history or whatever it is we have studied. But the fact of the matter is we just don't know anything. The, um, you know, I've done some study on um, predictions, like political predictions and, and um, the stock market predictions. You know, people 
build their entire careers on trying to be smarter than other people at guessing what's going to happen in the future, if stocks are going to go up or down, who's going to be elected and what what sports team is going to win. And when you look back at it, all of these experts, every individual expert you might want to identify uh, is wrong half the time. The ones that get famous, the ones that happen to be right early in their careers or at a crucial moment that got them famous. But really, individuals are always just guessing. When we're talking about our eternal salvation, we're talking about safety in a world that's prone to natural disasters and wars and uprisings and you know all of the things that can happen when human beings are so cruel to one another. It just doesn't make sense to put all our eggs in the basket of the human brain and what it can figure out. It's going to fail every time. It's not safe. The only place we can look for information about the future, for guidance about things that are going to happen, for example, um, switching to a home-centered, church-supported gospel learning before the pandemic hit, and sent all of us doing all of our church at home. That's because the Lord knew what was going to happen and knew how to prepare us. And those of us who listened to the words of the prophets were in a great position when church had to close. This is the thing that we always have to bear in mind and can never forget when we're talking about the gospel and we're talking about the importance of prophets. We can't know what's coming, but they can. And it's dangerous to get in the habit of ignoring the prophets or assuming they don't need to be listened to, because then we're going to be uh, out in the cold when something comes that they could have warned us about. And I'm eager to add here that um, one group of people does not put their faith in human brains, and they're called the brethren. They're prophets, seers, and revelators, and they know in whom they put their trust. I remember, uh, and I think everyone knows this, but I'll just remind everyone that um, Sister Nelson tells of the time when she was awakened one night and impressed to leave the room. And she left the room and President Nelson came out two hours later and told her that he had been receiving detailed instructions from the Lord about something he was to do on a very important process and was giving him detailed instructions. Well, here's an example of the Lord inspiring a wife to step away so that the Lord could talk to his prophet for two hours. President Nelson, after about 18 months in office, said that he was receiving knowledge upon knowledge, revelation upon revelation. And shortly after being called, he said that, uh, that the night calls, the being awakened in the night by the Lord, to be inspired, to be taught, that those experiences had uh, increased exponentially. In fact, he said, the night calls are coming with great intensity. That was what he said shortly after his calling. And so, you know, Kimberly mentions that, you know, what folly it is for us to put faith in our own mortal brains. And people who know it best are prophets, and they don't put their faith in mortal brains. They put their faith in the Lord. Who teaches them? And do you know what I love? When the prophet gives us an instruction, 
or changes a direction because he has received revelation. I love doing it. There is joy in doing what the prophet asked, even if it's a little bit hard. Now, we have, of course, Meridian Magazine. But early on, we did not use the URL, Meridian Magazine, because we found out that Meridian was not a word that people spelled easily and readily. And so we thought, we have such an easy solution. We'll call our URL LDS Mag. LDS Mag, how handy that was, how quick. You could write that so quickly. But when the prophet said that we needed to make sure that we used the name of the church that the Lord gave us, he also said that we did not use LDS, but Latter-day Saints. And so Scott and I changed the URL to the much longer LatterdaySaintMag.com. And we felt joy doing it. And we could see how important it was to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, not Mormons. Um, And it, it brought my heart joy to respond even though it was awkward for us and we had to redo the magazine and people had to look in a different place to find it, that was a a great and happy moment for me. And I know for Scott too, to say, I can obey, I I can do this. This all reminds me of something that Elder Neil L. Anderson said. He said, we embrace President Nelson as we would have embraced Peter or Moses if we had lived in their day. God told Moses, I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. We listen to the Lord's prophet with the faith that his words are from the Lord's own mouth. Is this blind faith? No, it is not. We each have a spiritual witness of the truthfulness of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By our own will and choice, we raised our hand this morning, this was in conference, declaring our desire to sustain the Lord's prophet with our confidence, faith, and prayers, and to follow his counsel. We have the privilege as Latter-day Saints to receive a personal witness that President Nelson's call is from God. Don't be surprised. The prophet's voice, while spoken kindly, will often be a voice asking us to change, to repent and to return to the Lord. When correction is needed, let's not delay. And don't be alarmed when the prophet's warning voice counters popular opinions of the day. The mocking fireballs of annoyed disbelievers are always hurled the moment the prophet begins to speak. As you are humble in following the counsel of the Lord's prophet, I promise you an added blessing of safety and peace. That really just underlines everything that we've been saying here. It's beautiful. I love that. I was thinking as you were speaking, I was thinking of the the watchman on the tower again, thinking if we were literally in a field and there was a watchman up on a tower looking out and he saw a danger coming, those of us who aren't in the tower and are down below, we have a choice at that point. When the watchman shouts down, there's an enemy coming. We can be among those who spread the word, who tell others. The watchman has said, there's an enemy coming. This is where we need to go. They're coming from this direction. This is where we need to fortify. 
We can help. We can step up and support the watchman by being another set of hands, another set of feet. And when our vineyard is saved in that situation, how delighted and pleased and proud we will be to know that we were supporters, that we didn't drag our feet, that we didn't murmur and complain, that we got out front of it, we trusted the watchman, we spread his word, and we supported him in his job. The same thing is true today. We are children of a God. We are children of a being who creates galaxies. We have that potential ourselves. Our calling is not to sit back and watch the prophets do their thing and just not get in the way. We have the wonderful privilege because we know that there are prophets and most people in the world don't have that blessing. So we're extremely lucky, but we know there are prophets and we know their message. Once we have this testimony, we get to participate with them. Just like if we were you know, facing a literal army approaching our vineyard, we would be so happy to be standing on the side of the watchman and helping them. And you can imagine in a situation like that, when the Lord of the vineyard comes back and has gratitude and says, thank you, watchman, for, for being diligent, for not taking your eyes off and for doing it. And then he will say to those of us who supported them, thank you. Thank you for listening to my servant. Amos said the Lord will do nothing save he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. They're the ones the Lord has chosen to be the watchmen. They're his servants. We owe them support and help. We have the wonderful privilege as members of the church to not just hear their words, but to gain our own confirmation of it and be a secondary witness and to help that work go forward, telling others, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the prophet. This is where the danger is. We can be part of the solution. We can be part of the heavenly armies. And I, for one, when Christ comes again, I don't want to be among those who just didn't get in the way. I want to be one of those that the Lord thanks. And one of those who can go to him and say, I supported your prophets. I stood by them. I was not ashamed of them. And I was on their team, even when things got hard. Thank you so much for being with us today, Kimberly White and Dwayne Boyce. This has been so delightful. And Maureen, this has just been a blessing for us, hasn't it? Oh, such a blessing. And I think it's important to know that people can also get their book and explore these ideas further. It again is called The Last Safe Place, Seven Principles for Standing with the Prophets in Troubled Times. You can go to latterdaysaintmag.com forward slash the last safe place to look at it. We are so grateful, Dwayne and Kimberly, that you have a house of faith, that Kimberly grew up there learning from her parents such a high regard for the prophets and that you are both are able to share that with us. It has really enriched my life. And I, I thank you so much for this time today. I love living in a time when there is a prophet of God on the earth. And I am, count that as one of my greatest blessings. 
Thank you for joining us, all of you, our dear listeners. Next week, we'll be studying the book of Jonah and the book of Micah in a lesson entitled, He Delighteth in Mercy. Thanks, as always, to Paul Cardall for the music which accompanies this podcast. And we're always grateful to our producer, Michaela Proctor-Hutchins, for doing this show. Again, remember, you can go to latterdaysaintmag.com forward slash the last safe place to get a copy of this book. Have a wonderful week and see you next time.